Welcome to the Sales Management Podcast, your source for actionable sales management strategies and tactics. I'm your host, Corey Bray. No long intros, no long ads. Let's go. Today, I'm going to dig into something I'm really passionate about, education. We're going to look at how to apply the principles from my favorite educator, Saul Khan, to the world of sales and make sure that as sales managers, we're setting our our teams up for success instead of just promoting them fast so they can go brag to mom and the family about promotions in the Christmas letter. The media glamorizes young success, Forbes 30 under 30. Stories on young founders, Zuckerberg, Snapchat guys. Then they get caught up into this and put Elizabeth Holmes and Sam Bankman-Fried on pedestals. And then we see what happens there. I think, didn't Zuckerberg say one time that younger people are just smarter? How's that working out for you, Zuck? Wonder if he still believes that. I don't know. And then you, this this whole idea translates down to the rest of us, if you will. And you always see these people on LinkedIn or at conferences talk about how they went from SDR to AE in nine months. And you can too. <laughs> Buy my online course and subscribe to my newsletter. I'm just joking. The, uh, or, or I went from salesperson to chief revenue officer in a year and a half. And it's, it's about speed, speed to promotion, speed to success or perceived success anyways. And then you start seeing things like how many times they've had the job. I'm a four-time VP of sales. Well, cool, bro. So you got fired from three or whatever it is. I just think this is this is interesting because do you really want to be a four-time VP of sales if you're 29? What's that say? Is that success? Oh, I don't know. I'll let you pass judgment on that. And it's all it's all fine. I mean, look, if you know me, you know that I don't really care what people do. People can do whatever they want. But I think there's an alternative to look at this where it might not be speed to promotion or the number of times that you've held a certain job. And, and I think that's where we're going to, to look at Khan Academy founder, Saul Khan, and some of his ideas today. Before I get to Khan, we're going to go to an ad. No, I'm just joking. We don't do ads. We're gonna, let's, let's just do a thought experiment. So let's say that you're playing tennis and you know, for people like me that can't dunk a basketball anymore, you know, tennis is a good type of sport to take up. Stay in shape. It's fun. Make friends. So let's say you're out. You're out playing tennis, and you go for a shot. You go for a forehand, and your knee pops. You go down. Not good. If you've ever had this happen to you, you really know it's not good. And you've probably been around people when it happened. You go to the hospital. They take an MRI, and the the young assistant walks in, or you thought it was the young assistant who says, "I'm Doctor Jameson, and I'll be your orthopedic surgeon." You're like, this kid looks twelve. And then he he picks up on your look and kind of looks at you and you say, uh, can I ask how old you are? He says, uh, well, I'm 23. <laughs> I graduated from high school at 16, college at 19, med school at 21. I spent two years in residency. And when Dr. Harrison retired last year, I took over as head orthopedic surgeon at 23. Now, are you impressed? Are you proud of how fast this guy got promoted? It's great TV, Doogie Hauser. Back in the day, Doogie Hauser, MD. But do you want this guy doing your knee? Or do you want someone with gray hair who's fixed knees for 20 years every single week? 
I personally want the one that's seen a thousand knees and knows all types of variations of what could happen, what could go wrong. Not just the person that's memorized the textbook, but that's just me. Now let's talk about Saul Khan. So Saul Khan was a hedge fund manager. He has degrees from MIT and Harvard. And now he helps kids learn elementary and high school skills, math, science, all the topics you'd pick up in, in K through 12. I found a disturb. I was just doing some prep for this. I actually, I actually do prep for these things. I was, I was doing some prep and I was, I was Googling for some statistics. So I can't, I can't vouch for the source of this. You can, you can do your own research. I looked and I found some statistics from the National Assessment of Educational Progress. It sounds, it sounds credible. It looks credible. I back checked it. It doesn't look like they've got any ulterior motives, like some of those uh, organizations that sound good, but they're really not. No, so this one looks pretty credible. And National Assessment of Educational Progress in 2022, they found that I, I could not believe this number that only 36% of fourth grade students in the US are proficient at math and only 26% of eighth grade students showed math proficiency, 26%. Can you believe that? That's sad, that made me, I didn't shed a tear because I don't cry per se, unless something really bad happens, but 26% is pretty bad. So let me ask you this question. How many people on your sales team are mathletes, folks that went to math competitions on the weekend? Maybe some. I suspect that these 26% of people that are proficient in math are probably going into science engineering and other places that really require those hard math skills. So the, the, the challenge here is that you've got a lot of people on your sales team that are in that other 74%. And they're this, uh, let's, let's call them the not proficient in math people. Uh, they're coming into the company and they're getting promoted and promoted and promoted. And then all of a sudden they want to be a v- vice president, sales chief revenue officer, somebody that's at the top of the sales organization. CFO wants to meet with them about the financial model. Whew. Ouch. The idea here is that you've got a shockingly underperforming educational system. And again, some people on your sales team might be math all-stars. I don't know. But this is where people hit that glass ceiling, where all of a sudden, oh, hey, let's let's work on a, a headcount model and let's work on the operating model and figure out how to match up projected revenues, projected costs, do some scenario analysis in the spreadsheet, and they don't know how to do it. And according to the test scores from back when they were in school, they they didn't even hit that that math proficiency. So here's here's where Saul Khan comes in. He talks about this idea of a Swiss cheese skill set. If you imagine a block of Swiss cheese has holes in it, and we won't get into chemistry because my my cheese chemistry, I did not score proficient on that. But but Swiss cheese has holes, and and some has smaller amounts of holes, and some has larger holes, and has to do with gas during fermentation or something like that. We don't know. The holes are different sizes, and and the challenge is that in the U.S. education system. We promote people that have holes. They have holes in their in their knowledge and their skill around math and science and, and language, English. And so you, you pass and you go to the next grade. Well, that hole in the Swiss cheese just gets bigger and bigger and bigger over, over time. Because the kid with the A plus and the kid with the D minus both get into the next grade. Well, that A plus kid, well, that's a solid block of cheese. That might not even be Swiss. That's 
Parmesan, you know, the, the big round Parmesan that you scrape from at the Brazilian steakhouse. I think it's rock solid. And then the D minus kid, Swiss cheese, lots of big holes, lots of big holes. And they only get bigger because what you're learning next year builds upon what you learned this year. You can't do calculus with algebra. You can't do algebra without arithmetic. So if you struggle with multiplication or division, you're going to, there's, there's no way you're ever going to become proficient at calculus. And if you're not proficient at calculus, you can't get an engineering degree. So you, you get stuck at some point. And the, the idea here is that the, the Swiss cheese problem has a solution. That problem, that solution is mastery. So Khan talks about in karate, you don't get to your next belt until you've mastered the skills at the current belt. You're not going to get a black belt by getting near failing grades on all the examinations building up to that. You've got to pass. You've got to achieve mastery in order to move on to the next level. And he uses a, another example, which is really, really brought it home for me, which is home building. And so what if, what if we use the public school approach in home building? Well, I'll, I'll give you a C minus on that foundation. Your framing was a B plus. Electrical, that's C minus. <laughs> Drywall was an A. Plumbing, D. All right, house passes. That's a disaster. Would you live in that house? Would you buy that house? Would you want your family living in that house? Absolutely not. So that's what the home building world would look like if we use the American educational system. And that's a mess. So the, the idea is that even, even the kids that get an A, if you've, if you've ever been involved in a construction process with inspections and permitting, you've got to pass with 100%. They're going to they're gonna send it back if something isn't up to, up to snuff. So even the kid who got a 95% on the test, they still got 5% wrong. And that 5% compounds out over time. And so it becomes, this, this person's more set up for success, but they it becomes a house of cards. And so, so Saul Khan pushes for this idea of mastery where if you get a C, you're not done. You're not moving on. You figure out where your gaps are and you fill them in. So the, the idea is you master the challenge of today in order to build the skills for tomorrow. So let's think about this in, in terms of a, of a sales organization. So if you've got somebody that comes in and let's, let's say they started in a prospecting role, they were a sales development rep and they booked meetings but they never really talked to people on the phone because their email skills were pretty good. So they never really got conversational discovery skills nailed in. And then they go into an account executive role to, as a closer. Well, they don't, they don't have those skills. They need to develop them. They're putting a lot of effort into that because that's the, that's the first part of the sales process for, for a closer. Well, how do you think their demo skills are evolving? Like they're doing something but they're putting all of this remedial effort into trying to develop how do they ask good discovery questions, how they ask good questions, how they set good next steps. Because when they were in sales development, all they did was book meetings over email. And then what happens when this person gets promoted fast? Had they, we, we talked about in our, in our last episode, the idea of competencies. And so defining the competencies for each role, which could be something for a salesperson like discovery demo, sales process, use of tools, things like that. Well, if they only achieve partial competency around those things and they move into the next role, maybe from a small business account executive to mid-market to enterprise, 
what happens when that big enterprise deal that's make or break for your company falls apart because the individual on the team was passed with a 70%. And I know that we don't give grades in, in the sales world, but you know what I'm talking about. They, they never mastered it and that caught up to them eventually. So when we're, when we're thinking about speed to promotion, the, the individual misses out on several things. Here's six items that I've identified that we're, if, if we're moving people into new roles fast, they're, they're missing out on one depth of skills that they might know something on the surface level, but how, how deep do they actually understand the topic? Number two, seasonality. This one's interesting because if you're in a role for a year and there is seasonality, well, you only experience it once. Well, if you sell to accounting firms, there's obvious seasonality around that with tax season, audit season, things like that. If you sell to retail, they've got seasonality, they're, they're busy season. If you sell to K through 12 educational institutions, they have seasonality. And there's certain industries where lots of business is done in certain parts of the year and no business is done other times. You've got macroeconomic events. Well, think about today we sit at the end of 2022. Interest rates are going up, up and away. And there's a lot of people in the professional world that have only known a zero interest rate environment. You've got macroeconomic events. And we're sitting here at the end of 2022. And there's a lot of people in the professional world who have never worked through a real recession before, who have only seen zero interest rate environments and everything. Yeah, there's there's bumps along the way over the last few years, sure. But nothing crazy has happened that's turned things upside down. I think that another piece is that if you look back at the stock market, S&P 500 was, I'm, I'm pulling these numbers off the top of my head so you can, you can fact check me on this. I believe that it didn't go up at all from 1997 to 2012. There was a very long period of time where if you, if you would have bought the S&P 500 index on one day, in the late mid nineties, I think it was around 1997 up to 12 or 15 years later, there's no change. Granted there were dividends paid out. So you still had some type of return on, on investment, but it's not the world that we've seen the last several years where things just go up and up and up and up. Same with the housing market, things like that. People haven't seen this before. So if you've only lived in a world of a prosperous macro economy and all of a sudden the world shifts a little bit, well, you just haven't experienced that yet. And I think there's there's definitely learnings to be had uh, from that. Point number four is a competitive sea change. If you work at a market leader, what happens when new incumbents come into the marketplace and start taking market share, taking your business away, winning new deals? Well, if you experience that a few different times, then at least you know how to react to it or at least what to look for as competitive forces change because you've got your competitors are innovating. They're building new products and services. They're merging with each other. And there's there's obviously new, new folks coming in. Point number five is just working with different management styles. There's lots of different management styles. Many work, some don't work. Some are more pleasant than others. And if you get promoted super fast and you think everything is just what you've seen, that's that's challenging. You see these, these coming to age stories on the internet all the time. It's like, oh, this is the way it is because I've worked for one person ever and that's the way they did it. Well, that's, that's not really how it works. And then finally, number six is understanding product innovation. 
how fast can products innovate? What are some of the things that can can catalyze this? What what happens when you have great product innovation or what happens when it stalls? There's a lot of legacy companies where they're not innovating product, but they're still very valuable. I'm not going to name names, but they're out there for sure. So we we look at these six different areas where if you get promoted very fast, the depth, of skills, the seasonality, the macroeconomic events, the competitive sea change, the different management styles, the product innovation, you're just not going to have as much data around that. So if you're managing folks that are moving up the ladders, taking index of, well, have they seen these types of things before? Were they working in 2008, 2009 when things were really bad? Have they seen competitive disruption? Have they been disrupted? It's good to know. You don't want to build that house of cards where all of a sudden they get shocked and and should have seen something coming, but they didn't just because they hadn't seen the movie before. So the, the thing that we're fighting here, though, is that employees want rapid promotions. And there's a, there's a few reasons for this. Obvious one is that there's promotion porn. Everyone sees, oh, this this person's young and they're very successful and they they got here fast. And that's that's great. It sells ads. But the media doesn't do a good job of digging into all of the places where it didn't work. And yeah, you're always going to have cases where I met LeBron James when he was 17 and he was one of the most incredible basketball players I'd ever seen. He was 17. He was gigantic. I mean, he's full grown, 6'8". Just he was he was playing at this uh, tournament by my house. And I went and talked to him afterwards briefly until I got shooed away by his uh, his coach, I think. <laughs> and it's it's incredible how someone that young can be that good at what they do. And that happens in business too. It doesn't happen in business as much, but it definitely happens in, in sports. But even then, Michael Jordan was mentoring LeBron as early as I think when I was, he had, he had already started because when he signed my Sports Illustrated, he wrote my name on it because MJ said, don't sign autographs without addressing them to people because then they just become commodities that people go sell. So whatever. People want promotions. And, and I think the, the trick for management here, I think this is one of the biggest takeaways from the session today, other than just thinking about the, the idea of mastery and Salcon and the Swiss cheese, is that there are, there are ways to slow folks down and help them. So one, one is an assessment. Do a, a real clear assessment of where they're at versus where they need to be. And we can you can look back at the last episode we did around competencies, really define what are the things that they need to be good at to do this job today and the job tomorrow. And score them up. Where are they on that on that spectrum from maybe zero to four? Of zero, they have no competence at all. And four, they've achieved mastery. Score them as their manager. Have them score themselves and get input from other folks that have worked with them as well. That's that's good as well. The uh, beyond assessments, you've got the idea of dis- defining stretch goals. Well, if if there's not a hard to reach goal into place, what do you think someone thinks of themselves? Well, they probably think they made it. Well, they did what you said. You set some goals for them. They hit the goals. They're perfect. Well, if you define stretch goals that are hard to hit, that would be hard for anybody to hit or that take effort over time, then the person's more likely to realize, oh, wait a second, maybe I haven't made it yet. Maybe I'm still developing. Similar idea is a longer term project, something they can work on over time. If you're in a smaller company, maybe there's an opportunity to put together a sales playbook or something like that. So when you bring in new hires, they've got a go-to actionable guide uh, to look at. 
if you're interested in a sales playbook, I'll send you some free content. Email me free stuff at coachcrm.com and I'll send you a copy of one of my books, Sales Playbooks, The Builder's Toolkit. I'll send you the PDF. I might send you the physical copy too. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see how many requests we get. That's uh, free stuff at coachcrm.com. So that's an idea for a longer term project. Or if you're a bigger company, maybe there's a new product that's being launched. Maybe you bought another organization and there's some post MA integration. There might be a little slice of that that you can carve out. Again, you don't want to distract someone from their core day-to-day job, but you can do things like this. If you're trying to develop them into a leadership role, well, what can they practice today in their current job to start to demonstrate some of those leadership capabilities? Working with other folks, having responsibility without authority is, I always recommend as a person taking a job, don't accept responsibility without authority. But if you're giving someone the opportunity to stretch and grow, Something like that, where they have to influence others to, to get stuff done and push things forward. That's that's good. I like that. And then all of this is just in preparation for the next role. So the topic here is how do we ensure that people can get the promotions that they deserve? I'll give you one parting thought. As a manager, who are your customers? Well, there's probably a few different ways that you can answer this, but one of the one of the customers that that I like to think of as a manager is that next manager who will inherit the employee who is promoted. So my question to you is, do you want to give them a block of Swiss cheese with a ton of holes in it and a decent probability of failure? Or that rock solid Parmesan block from the Brazilian steakhouse? If you're known as the manager who develops amazing people who can walk into a role, perform, do what they say they were going to do and have less risk of, of fallout than the, the general population. How do you think that's going to make you look? That's one thing to think about. Well, thank you so much, everyone. This is our time for today. I'm Corey Bray with Coach CRM, and this is the Sales Management Podcast. See you next time. <laughs>